0: Hi everyone and welcome to the Newsagent Agent Podcast. I'm Susie Lysett, Content Manager at Goodlord and this episode is a recording of part two of our Renters Reform Bill special webinar. When the bill was announced, our speakers, Goodlord's Ollie Sherlock and Dutton Gregory's Ryan Heaven, jumped on a webinar to talk through everything, but they found that the hour wasn't enough. So this session covers what they didn't have time for in the first session. That means timelines for the bill, lessons from Scotland and Wales, and the top questions asked
1: by agents. So, without any further ado, on with the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Happy... Uh, Wednesday, uh, at least Thursday. Then, good morning, uh, you all, and um, welcome to the second part of the Renters Reform Bill special. Um, for those of you who joined on the previous session, you may remember uh, that this was designed as, a, as an overflow because actually we, we only got part way through. Um, the last webinar we did on this was actually a record breaking webinar for good Lord um uh, we had over a thousand um lessons professionals joining us um and over two hundred and fifty questions in a single hour session. Hence why we're gathered here today, so hopefully we can um finish the planned um uh, sort of slide set. Um, answer more questions, um, and also go through uh, maybe maybe a bit more about what we know now of the bill um, a couple of weeks on from the last session. Of course, this is an evolving piece and will continue to evolve, and we're going to talk about that evolution and timeline today, um, alongside um, Ryan Heaven, who will be joining us shortly. Um, Ryan is for a solicitor at Dustin Gregory, and will introduce himself uh, in, in a brief moment. My name is Ollie Sherlock. I'm Director of Insurance at Good Lord, um, and I'm going to be supporting Ryan to go through today's session. Um, Okay, so um, for those of you joining as well who don't know who Good Lord are, we're a pre-tenancy business. We automate and simplify the pre-tenancy process um, and give you the ability to hopefully have more time back, provide a better user experience to your tenants and landlords, whilst allowing you to focus on things that drive revenue um, and growth in your business. Um, We provide revenue and growth Products and services such as rent protection insurance, um, such as landlord terms of business, um, rent collection, lettings accounts, um, and tenancy services. If you want to know more about what we do, um, please do visit our website at www.goodlord.co and you can book a demo there. Um, Like most of these sessions, if not all of them. It's not really about good Lord. It's it's about the legislative change that we're going through. Um, and hopefully by supporting you through this, whether you're a customer or not, um, we can support you and your business to be in better shape um, ahead of these, uh, the impending changes that for this purpose, the Renters Reform Bill are, are going to bring. Okay. Um, good morning, Ryan. Uh, hopefully, one moment. Hey. <laughs> you are indeed.
0: <laughs> Hello. I, I'm still here. I'm here. I'm here.
1: How are you, well, Ryan? How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, yeah, good. It's a nice sunny day to be indoors. Indeed, indeed. And, and we're back for a second time because I think when we started this a couple of weeks ago, we thought we're going to do one session on this and we're going to probably revisit, revisit it in, in a few months' time. But actually, we're completely bowled over by, one, well, the mm-hmm. amount of interest, but the clear need, actually, um, that lessons professionals have for kind of support and as much education as we can possibly give. And I think that's the caveat, right? We're still in, in the middle of this and we will mm-hmm. be for some time.
0: Yeah, ar- arrogant of us to assume we could get through all of it in an hour.
1: Yeah, stupid, I would argue. Um, uh, Ryan, just give me a little bit of background on yourself before we, we kick off, because some, some of the people joining today won't have joined the first session. Um, just give us a bit of an insight to your background.
0: Great. Uh, well, I'm a solicitor at Dustin Gregory. Um, I've been working in the landlord tenant sector for about eight years now. Um, Dustin Gregory wo- run, well, perhaps most famously, the Property Mark
1: Legal Helpline. So if my voice sounds at all familiar, it may well be we've really spoken before. Fantastic. Um, and we're here today to take you through the final stages of the originally uh, planned uh, webinar. So we're going to talk um, about a number of um, uh, a number of uh, some issues around this. So we're going to talk about, um, first of all, a a survey that Good have conducted in the last few weeks. I want to share some of the detail with you um, just to give an insight to the people attending as to as to where really the concerns lie from from lettings professionals. Um Ryan, they are going to take us through the expected timelines. Um, I think that's that's normally at the top of people's question list in terms of when does this thing actually happen. Um and we're gonna also look towards um Scotland and Wales, because of course they've gone through legislative change ahead of England. Um, and I think it's fair to say there's some pointers within there. Um, that we can maybe learn from so ryan's going to take us through um his view on that um and we have a live q a session at the end as well we've actually got questions from a lot of you who are joining already um as part of the webinar invite so thank you for submitting those we will cover those um either through the session or at the end of the session we also have the q a switched on from the very start too um and i can see we've already had a few questions in there um we're going to come to most of these. One of these, though, somebody who hasn't left their name, but good morning to you nonetheless, um, asks, can agents and landlords please sign the petition? It's a petition at the uh, Parliament website for the retention um, of a short short hold tenancies. It would be good if the contents of the renters reform bill were not entirely determined by activists. Um, I wonder which side of the fence this person is, in terms of thinking of this is a positive or negative thing. Um, I think it's fair to say, well, whilst I, I fully support that level of um, uh, of, of, of sort of um, dedication saying, let's let's try and challenge this, i We're past the point of challenging whether we move to assured uh, tenancies full stop. This is something that is, for all intents and purposes, nailed in. Um, It's now a case of actually working with that framework and understanding how we can adopt assured tenancies moving forwards, rather than, say, challenge that. I think we're past that point, in my opinion.
0: I, i'm completely with you um Section 21s are, are going that's not open the negotiation it's just what other structures can be put into place to allow landlords to give notice in certain circumstances maybe assist certain sectors of the of the um of the PRS so for example students um who are generally the exception to most normal
1: rules so yeah i i'm, I'm with you and nonetheless, though, um, clearly there's a mechanism there to raise these kind of concerns, right, through that parliamentary, um, entry point. So if you do feel strongly and you do have some hope there that that can be reversed, then of course, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, supportive of people doing that. Um, but I, I would fear at the moment that's pretty futile, given how far down the road we are on that particular point. Um, I think there's other areas, actually, that will and can and probably um, successfully will be challenged um, through this process. And today, Ryan, and i are going to talk you through what that looks like and actually talk about how you can go about doing that maybe in more detail. Um, so let's get into it. Um, next slide, please, Sarah. Um, so, as I said, I conducted a, a Renters Reform Bill survey um, and um, we wanted to understand um exactly where the sentiment was um from lessons professionals around the bill there's going to be more details around this being released over the coming weeks as well and we'll continue to to use that kind of um size across the market to get good insights and try and find that back to you um because obviously you know concerns starting off are quite important for us to understand to know where we can support both from an education perspective but also from a business perspective um and i think one of the things we're going to we're going to look back on today ryan is the is the tenant fee ban because that was the last part that was the last major legislative mm-hmm. change that we've been through as an industry um and i remember back then um being relatively surprised how some businesses had had sort of prepared themselves for change and either they were well well ahead of this they had really sorted out um what the effects were of that change and, and ultimately set their business um appropriately or there'd be no work whatsoever, waited for the change to come in, and then were scrambling somewhat. Um, and it feels that we're in a similar position, uh, position here. Um, 29% of respondents um, uh, felt that they were prepared for the changes coming, which is no great surprise. We're still early on this, right? Um, but I think the other side of this, 27% of respondents do not feel prepared at all and that's exactly why i think these 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 kind of um sessions are hopefully important if we can add you know just one element of value through the hour then um hopefully it's been worth people attending um and i think you see that, that the bulk of people are feeling somewhat prepared so we kind of in um uh, we understand what the challenges are maybe we're not quite figured out how to meet those challenges which i think is probably a fair assessment given where the bill is at the moment because we're still waiting for an awful lot of clarity especially on particular areas um I think what's more interesting um, is the areas of concern. Um, And interestingly, Ryan, 49% of the respondents said the abolition of Section 21 was their biggest worry. Um, Why do you think that would be? I think it's probably just the biggest change
0: for agents. So I I agree that the Tenant Fees Act is probably the most apt comparator because it's the most recent bit of major legislation that prs has received um but tenant fees act was really about governing the agent's relationship with landlords and and tenants whereas the renters reform bill is far more fundamental than that it's about landlord's relationship with tenants and agents just happen to be a part of that process um and so in terms of the impact on agents i think this is probably why a lot of agents feel quite prepared because actually it, it probably doesn't change that much um but the section twenty-one is probably the thing that's concerning agents' clients the most and therefore is causing agents the most headache. And, and, and you can appreciate why that might be. If, if if landlords are saying they are gonna leave, um, that you know, have a sector entirely just sell up because of section twenty-one going away, then that takes away revenue from agents and therefore is causing them a worry. So uh, mm. like I say, I think I, I think the worry is mostly about the broader impact of, 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 of that of that change, um, rather than agents not being able to serve section 21 specifically i don't think they mind not not being able to serve that it's just the impact it's going to have um on, on their on their business
1: yeah and, and i understand that to a point i suppose my challenge would be that the the grounds in section eight if if bill, if the bill is delivered in a comprehensive way actually meet the demands of, of the market in the first place and i think my, my side note to that is that we we're hopefully providing um calm um to landlords and, and educating them on the fact that actually there is a provision in the bill at the moment. And and the provision in the bill is is actually quite generous. Um, it, on the basis that we accept mm. section 21 is going, which is the you know most generous of 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 of, of things. Um, the, the, the new provision under section eight, um where a landlord wants to get their property back, for example, because they're selling it or moving back in, um, is relatively generous on the basis that the property could return back to market within three months. Um, on, on the base of the property not selling. Now, if you look at where the, the market is at the moment, that's that's potentially likely. And actually, you know, that three month window isn't awfully long. So, um, you know, I, I appreciate the concern and I appreciate the challenges that it faces. But I would hope that there's an element of calm being brought to land and say, actually, look, this, there is a provision in here that's that's going to be going to be helpful if you need to. Um, I still believe and will continue to believe, I think, unless presented with better evidence, that good landlords don't get rid of good tenants. Um, so actually in more cases than not, this isn't even relevant. Um, and I think, you know, Mm -hmm. understanding the scale of the challenge, um, if you look at your business demographic and you look at how many times you've served a section 21, for example, of course you have, but it's not the majority of your business. And also you've probably served that section 21 for different reasons. Section 21 was a catch-all and is a catch-all and remains that until it's gone, and it actually covers up a multiple of sins in other functions that are weaker weaker wordings, right? Section 8 being one of them. So I think as long as we can ensure that Section 8 is strengthened and is robust and we've got clarity, then I would hope actually the 49% of respondents here, um, their worries are somewhat um, um, allayed and actually they can move forward with some confidence. But that's the point, right? We need clarity. And I think that's going to be a running theme as we go through today's session and maybe more sessions as well. Um. Uh, yeah. in, in, interestingly, twenty-one percent of respondents were mainly worried about assured tenancies, and I, I, I recognise that. You know, we've been in a world of, of of assured short-hold tenancies for a long time. Um, that is a major structural change, and and hopefully, again today, we can cover up some of the um some of the sort of um changes and the the way that that the sort of knock-on effect of that change coming in as well. Um, okay. Um, let's move on from from our survey. We'll again, we'll release more of this information over the coming weeks. Um, but let's have a look back at the tenant fee ban, and I think it's probably a good um, sort of segue, really. There, Ryan, to talk us through and just remind us of the tenant fee ban timeline, because again, we're using that as some kind of indicator. Every bill is different, and we'll talk about specific uh, timelines at the moment. But let's look back for a minute and and recognise what 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 went into the tenant fee ban in order to get it delivered. So
0: yeah i i th- i think the important thing is to say every bill is different so whilst we can look at this for guidance um we have no way of knowing how long it's going to take to get this thing through parliament but in terms of uh, when the bill was first delivered to parliament to it being implemented in first of june 2019 uh, there was about 30 a 13 month period um so just to be clear during we're talking about implementation not a passing the house of commons and a lot of people uh, would, con- would are confusing when the bill is going to pass through house of commons again royal assent from when it's actually going to kick in and there are actually different dates involved here and the tenant fees act provides a similar sort of structure so the three key dates are when it passes the house of commons which by all accounts is probably the least relevant date, to be honest, because nothing starts at that point. It's just, we know the final form of what the bill, of what the, uh, legislation is going to be. And then you have two dates. Um, the first date for tenant fees was the 1st of June 2019. In the new tenancies after that date, were affected by it. And then you had a second implementation date, which was that you had essentially existing tenancies that renewed after a certain point um, were caught by uh, by 1st of June 2020. And that's a similar sort of set to what's going to happen with this. You're going to have passing commons. There's going to be new tenancies affected past a certain point, that date to be confirmed. And then you're going to have all tenancies affected past a certain point. And similarly, that's to be confirmed.
1: And and there are other areas in the bill, isn't there, Ryan, where you know we've probably in people's minds that they're part of the bill Mm -hmm. the decent home standard being one of them for example which nine percent of people were worried about actually but actually the bill itself hasn't confirmed the introduction of that at all that's going to be something that they can Mm -hmm. bring in at a later date so i think it's it's really important for for everyone to understand the timeline like you say and i'm on board with with you in terms of that first date probably being the, the least important actually but then understanding what what's coming after and um i think you know it would be helpful if there is a somewhat of a set framework of which we can get notified of change and then have time to implement because if you look back at previous changes um and again we're going to look back at scotland and wales and and things like that in in, in a minute but in some cases agents landlords and the whole sectors have been given very little time to respond in other cases they've been given ample time so um i'm Mm. sure as a as an industry we would be enthusiastic to the point of having a you know, an ample amount of time to deliver change that isn't yet noted in the bill, but this bill will give them the powers to implement those changes, won't it? Thereafter,
0: yeah, absolutely. But they've kicked the can down the road, so to speak, uh, with with some of the um, some of the the, the more media elements. They just either haven't had time to put it into this bill, or maybe it's just been something that that they'll they'll think about and implement later on, or maybe it won't get implemented at all. Uh, But like Hmm. you say, the um, landlord register, decent home standards are things that can be introduced at a later date. And frankly, with little notice or scrutiny at all um we will just have to react to that when it happens and I I would just hope that the government would give us a bit of warning that something's going to happen before it actually uh kicks in because yeah like you say they've got to communicate these things otherwise
1: it's not going to be evenly rolled out. Indeed um Vicky um asked this morning good morning Vicky I hope you're well um was the gap between passing House of Commons and implementation 13 months did she hear that correctly Ryan?
0: Uh, No, so I probably should have done a better job of this. It it, it entered the House of Commons in May 2018. It gained royal assent, which means it passed through Parliament in February 2019, with the implementation date being 1st of June 2019. So that total period from first bill to implementation was 13 months, but it got through uh, Parliament in
1: nine months, if my maths is correct. Thank you for confirming. Um, Kate as well. Um, Good morning, Kate. I hope you're well on this sunny morning. Um, I feel in the long run, rents will raise again, uh, not what shelter want. Um, So good for landlords uh, and agents as commissions will go up. Um, If Mm -hmm. a tenant is being difficult and a landlord can't get them out apart from selling, less properties um, and rents go up. Who's going to win? No one has thought this through. Um, I think Kate's absolutely right to point out that there's these, there's these squeezes on all areas. And it's not just it's not just tenants. I read an article in The Telegraph yesterday um, that was suggesting, I think, on new properties, that the, um, the the landlord's profit, as it were, on the properties has dra- dramatically fallen in the last year, which is, is somewhat understandable given interest rises, um, inflation, et cetera. Um, I think the point around um, – and we haven't actually got a segment in for this, but I think it's a worthy talking point, which I'm going to try and segue into Kate's point for May um, – I think the point around um, you know not being able to get them out apart from selling. Um, if you look through the bill, there is. There is arguably some level of generosity, and I, I, I please don't just pivot on that word, because um, I, I think it is very much more supportive of tenants than landlords. Um, but there are some levels of generosity in the bill for, for, for landlords. One of them, I would argue, is the three-month um, timeline from the point of selling, because I don't think that's that long, actually, and shelter are calling for two years, by the way. So you know, I think the government has, has, has tried to be as fair to landlords there as possible. But the other side of this bill, and something that hasn't got a lot of airtime, but is worth um, worth you all reading and, and getting getting to grips with, is the antisocial behaviour clause. Because the antisocial behaviour clause in the Bill Ryan, um, uh, the wording is changing, uh, and it's changing to mm-hmm. I think something along the lines of being capable of. And at the moment, yeah. there is absolutely no burden of proof or clarity about how you prove somebody is capable of. I would argue, Ryan, you are capable of being antisocial. I'm sure you're never antisocial, but you're definitely capable, as am I.
0: I've had my moments.
1: (laughs) Um, But my point here is that that is an extremely lax clause, and it it should be noted that change of wording didn't have to happen, but it is. I expect it to get more attention, and I do expect it to be challenged, especially by certain certain areas. But in reality, there is going to be a clause within this that means that you may have – almost instant gratification on the grounds of antisocial behavior and it's worth reminding everybody that those grounds at the moment in the bill are noted as two weeks notice um far shorter than anything else now this needs to be cl- clarified and I'm, I'm a big believer in actually any gray areas being just ultimately unhelpful ryan because hey they get through to, to the courts and the courts don't really know what to do and, and they take their own precedence but i think it's worth pointing out it's not just around landlords selling up um and there's a level of Um, clarification needed to understand how that that could be utilized because at the moment i think it's fair to say even in antisocial behavior cases section 21 has been used almost and or other other means have been used because it's very hard to win a case just solely on that that's something we should watch isn't it
0: yeah i i I, i'm with you in a sense of if you accept that section 21 going is a loss to the landlord's ability to recover possession of the property all the improvements um to section eight are generous, you know, it, it's more than the government had to do, they could have just banned Section 21s. Um, but it's still a net loss overall. And you're quite right. For, I mean, I have personal experience that if you have uh if you have antisocial tenants and you can serve a section 21 notice presently, you might still just want to consider serving a section 21 notice. And so if you are deprived of that opportunity in the future, you have to rely on these discretionary grounds. Now, I I don't know if it's if it's appropriate to it, but in one of the questions we were asked beforehand, it was specifically about antisocial behaviour and I have an answer for it. So I figure since I'm going to answer that question anyway, I may as well do it now. Sure. Um, that wording of likely to cause. So this is all about ground 14, which currently exists in broadly the same form as it will exist in, in the Renters Reform Bill. Um, and it's basically caused It's nuisance to neighbours, nuisance to landlord, nuisance to la- landlord staff, letting agents, Um but the thing is about ground 14 is it is a discretionary ground. And so whilst it might be easier to say someone is likely to cause nuisance rather than is causing a nuisance, the threshold that the court has to be has to, has to has to has to reach is essentially is this such a serious issue that we have no choice but to make someone homeless. And that issue currently exists with ground 14 as it's currently written. It will exist with ground 14 as it will be amended so in that sense the wording change it might be easier to serve a notice on ground 14 but i would say it's not going to be any really easier to actually get possession of the property because you will still have to convince a court that there's such an issue going on they have no choice but to evict and that only happens in the most extreme antisocial behavior cases in which case the old wording would have got possession on anyway so that that's mm. what i'm trying to say i don't think there's a practical difference for antisocial behavior
1: I don't think, in the current form, there is. But if we get clarity on what actually constitutes that, and this is something that um, a number of groups are asking for, then actually there could be a, a more viable framework there because at the moment it's yeah. relatively open ended. And and James makes a good point actually in the chat. Two weeks for for ASB antisocial behaviour will cause more problems than it solves. Tenants will not move out in two weeks, and court action for an order will be required. In reality, it's six months, given current court backlogs. I, uh, yeah, it, it's not not as straightforward. But you know, again. My, my, my sort of ask here uh, f- from the government is, and, and other parties too, and you know, is can we have just some clarity on what what we're deeming as antisocial behaviour and what the thresholds are? Because if that is um, provided, then I, I would expect that framework to be easier to manage than it ever has been. Um, um, I appreciate we've got plenty of questions coming in. Um, uh, uh, Amanda, um, good morning to you. I think my landlords are more concerned. They have no planning ability with product type tenancies. Uh, that They could have all their tenants move out at the same time in, say, December. Their thoughts are you wouldn't want to evict good tenants. So getting bad tenants out of Section 8 sits comfor- comfortably with them. So I think uh, Amanda there is, is taking the point. Actually, I probably have got everything I need in Section 8. But, hey, this whole move to assure tenancies, is, is, it feels a bit risky. I, I'm losing control. Um Let's just jump on a slide, Sarah. Sorry, because I want to just hold that uh, Amanda's point there um, just just for a minute, and we'll come on to it in the, in the following slide. This gives um, the attendees here an idea, doesn't it, um, Ryan, of what the what the kind of direction of travel is. Um, mm-hmm. So we're having to go through the House of Commons first, the House of Lords, and then final stages. Um, do you have any idea on on how long this the, the each individual part takes, or is it how long is a piece of string basically?
0: I'm afraid I can only speculate. So you're quite uh, using the travel analogy. These are these are the stops in the, on the path, but how long it's going to take in between each stop, I'm afraid I can only speculate. If we use the tenant Fees Act as a guide, then it could it would be passing in February next year to be implemented in June next year. But it's not necessarily, in fact, I, I say it's not going to take the same length of time as the tenant Fees Act uh, because we have no idea how long it's going to take.
1: Mm, indeed, and I think the important point here is that this is now open to debate in in the, in the House of Commons first, and the House of Lords. Um, uh, there are plenty of, um, of feelings around all different elements of the bill, um, and it's probably a timely reminder that in order to affect those changes, you know, maybe the best course of action here is to speak to your local MP. Um, I fully appreciate sometimes that feels futile. Um, however, um, I, I would argue it's, it's better to do that than nothing. Um, and ultimately, there's been in cases more recently, actually, of looking through some in, in, industry stakeholders where they've actually broken through. They've managed to get a meeting with, with, with their local MP, and 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 they're, they're in listening mode. I think. Um, and I think it's fair to say that the House of Commons and the House of Lords um, will um, be sympathetic to, to, to landlords, um, landlords' needs and, and fully aware, hopefully, especially now, that there is more pressure on landlords than ever before. So the design of this bill um, may well change as it goes through the process. And, and Ryan, that's exactly the point, isn't it? That's the point of the two the two uh, phases in both her, her houses is to, is to take challenge and change a bill for the greater good. Um, if the device works, then that's what we should end up with.
0: Yeah, if if I had to estimate how long it would take, I would say it would be longer than the Tenant Fees Act, uh, simply because I would anticipate there'd be a lot more backbench MP interest in this thing. Um, I mean, simply by virtue of the fact that more MPs are landlords than they are letting agents. And again, the Tenant Fees Act mostly impacting on letting agents as opposed to this impacting on the entire rental sector. Mm. There's going to be a lot more MPs with a stake in it. There's going to be a lot more people uh, petitioning their MPs to say, you know to, uh, to, to protect their interests so yes i think there's gonna be a lot more discussion about this and discussion ultimately means delay so um yeah if i had to put money on it i would say it's going to take longer than term fees acted.
1: yeah yeah agreed um uh brian um good morning brian um asks an interesting question what happens if there's a change of government now i think he's probably asking us for us to predict the future which is 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 a fool's game in some uh, uh respective uh rhyme but i think from a labor perspective um any party could win it i'm sure but i'm gonna i'm gonna say that it's one of (laughs) two
0: (laughs) i feel like we have to be like the bbc where other political parties are available yeah um no one no one knows what the next government's going to be however if it were labor (laughs) yeah um, i've no reason i've no reason to doubt that they would um they would follow a similar path to this i think this has got broad cross-party support so um yeah uh i would expect labor to follow this through uh with their own spin on their past
1: yeah indeed and i think actually lisa nandy and has already outlined what their 100 day plan would be and it frankly includes most of this stuff um a bit about leaseholders as well which i think is interesting it's, um it
0: could be quite relevant um in the context of of wales because uh the wales parliament the welsh uh, assembly as i should use the proper term uh is labor-led i believe and there has been a whole raft of of, hmm. of tendency changes in in wales so Obviously, it's its own thing, but it might be indicative of the kind of approach that Labour might take.
1: Indeed. And um, we talk about Wales there. Let's move on to a slide, because you <laughs> um, uh, what a lovely segue, Ryan. You're on fire this morning. Um, <laughs> there are lessons to be learned from Scotland and Wales, right? And they have gone mm-hmm. through legislative change. And actually, what's interesting is one hasn't followed the other. They are slightly different in their approaches, actually. Okay. Um, do you want to talk us through what we've seen? Um, uh, across the two borders and how that potentially informs us of our position at the moment.
0: Yeah, um, so uh, obviously all of the uh, devolved nations have their own housing policy, which means that it, it it um, goes down its own path. Um, I'll, I'll start with Wales because Wales and England are probably the closest aligned. Uh, certainly after the renters reform, Wales and England were quite closely aligned in a number of areas. and there is an, there is an extent of copying each other's homework. Uh, Wales copied some nice bits of, of England legislation, for example, Tenant fees Act. the Welsh equivalent is more or less verbatim, a copy of it. Um, but then you see similar sorts of things where, where in, in Wales, all landlords have to be registered. With a, with a body called Rent Smart Wales, um, that the England uh, registration process, which isn't fully fleshed out, is surely going to resemble something very similar to Rent Smart Wales. So um, you can see that they are very closely lined in a number of areas. The key difference, I would say, after Renters' reform, is that Wales chose to keep an equivalent of Section 21 uh, it's called a Section 173 notice, but the notice period for that is six months, and it can't be served during a fixed term. So, and again, also they have a fixed term and periodic setup in Wales. So, I think once rent reform comes in, England's probably more progressive than Wales, um, which will probably mean the Welsh are going to want to catch up again. So, um, yeah, I, I, Wales is probably uh, an illustration of a, a more modest reform, and I think there's there's probably a lot of comparisons and similarities between the two formats once renters' reform comes in. Scotland is probably the best uh, example that things could be worse. Um in Scotland you have two things which I think are scaring landlords at the moment and the possibility of. You've got rent freezes, so controlled rents, and you have uh, eviction moratoriums, i.e., evictions cannot take place. Um and um yeah, I just want to say really um uh, this is what the government could have done. The government could do whatever they want, but luckily they are listening to an extent to the PRS, and that means that we get these concessions like all the new Section 8 grounds and things like that. So, yeah, lessons from Scotland is maybe don't look a gift gift horse in the mouth.
1: Yeah, and and the the way in which they've enacted those changes has been slightly different too, hasn't it? And if uh, focusing on one area, for example, like the the change tenancies, if you look at how um you know what, what paperwork for example would have to be sent out and and, and the follow-up work it is wildly different and i think mm. you know we'll, we will get to a point where we just accept these are the changes the question then is how do i implement those changes um and there there is some some good examples and bad examples, actually including Northern Ireland, I think, Wales and Scotland are of, of approaching this either simplistically or indeed making it extremely difficult. I know from a Welsh perspective, plenty of agents have had real problems with having to remove and react mm. quite quickly. Um and actually sending documentation that, that doesn't actually make much sense and isn't easy to digest by 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 the people that is meant yeah. to help. So I think, you know, um, I suppose to the people attending today expect to see sessions as we as we go through that timeline you saw earlier as we get more certainty expect to see more sessions on the how um, because I, I'm I'm crucially aware that's, that's going to be fundamental to how businesses operate but also you know as good business owners you're going to want to know what to do and get ahead of that in time so you can sort of speak to your customer and say listen we're taking care of you um and that that filters straight back up to suppliers as well and um you know we, we're definitely going to be wanting from a good law perspective to support you as much as we possibly can to automate as many of these changes as we possibly can too um but definitely i think lessons to learn there um from scotland uh and, and wales um if you look at the two two markets as well, I think it's worth looking to market conditions and your point, Ryan, around Scotland not only being from a legislative bit, perspective far harsher, um, but also the market has changed quite considerably. Um, and, um, you know, letting agents talk, I, I would suggest if you've got any friends uh, in the industry in either Scotland or Wales, it may be worth dropping them a call and asking them to see how, how, you know, how are things have been going on the ground. But also look towards the data. Um, Scotland in particular has seen, you know, um, real, real pressure. Uh, on their market, um, far more actually than we have so far in England, and actually we're we're feeling pressure at the moment. Um, so it's a really good example of where legislative change can actually hinder a market. And to your point, Ryan, maybe we should feel somewhat lucky we're not in that world. Um, lesser of two evils, one would argue, uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of opinion on whether that's a, a fruitful conversation or not. Because hey, people, you know, don't don't want the change in some respects, and I get that. But it's coming, right? And I think you're right to point out with a with a fairer side of it than we could have been. Um, There is lots of questions coming in. Um, So I'm going to take a few of these and then we're going to go on to the questions that we've had submitted already. And then hopefully most of these questions are interesting to everybody. So you can all take something from this. Um, I want to get to uh, a question from Greg. I've seen pop up. Uh, We've got a couple on the same point. Um, So, Greg, good morning, Greg. Um, says about serving uh, about serving section 21 now bailiff evictions have uh, been suspended until further notice mm. is it likely that section 21 is already dead in the water in anticipation of the renters reform
0: uh, this is a different issue entirely um so some of you may well have read in the trade press that county court bailiffs are suspending evictions from what I've seen, it's it's three courts. Now, unfortunately, if you live in that area and your properties are in that area, th- that's, that's unfortunate for you. But the three courts that I'm aware of that have definitely suspended um, evictions are Barnet County Court, Clerkenwell and Shoreditch and Central London County Court. So anywhere else in the country, as far as I'm aware, evictions are still taking place. So The, the rationale behind this is that I believe a bailiff got stabbed uh, because he didn't have adequate uh, protection equipment when he was carrying out an eviction. And so bailiffs have essentially gone on strike. That's what's happening here. Then mm. they are saying they're not going to carry out these evictions. Um, now, this affects Section 8 claims as well. So it isn't just you know section section twenty one being affected by this. It's all claims that necessitate an eviction date. So um, I I don't think that situation is, is at all sustainable. I think it's quite likely the bailiffs are going to get what they what they are asking for, which is stab-proof vest effectively for the most risky assignments. And I don't think anyone could begrudge them that. That seems um, like quite a fair thing to ask for, to be honest. Uh, but. Anyone with experience in the court system will know that bailiffs are not at all quick at the moment. There's too few bailiffs or too many evictions. Um, and so uh, even if they are taking place, it's still slow. Um, I, 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 be- I believe that answers the
1: question, but I probably meandered a little bit. No, I think it does. And, and Sophie um, uh, sort of supports and asks question, a ask question around this point, actually. Um, uh, how do you think the increased use of Section 8 notices will impact the court's? um surely the influx of use of section 8 will cause major major delays in being seen by courts causing further delay in gaining possession of the property back interested to hear your thoughts sophie um thank you for for your question um i I, we actually covered this as part of our manifesto launch and we were asked a question uh by one of the audience members on the night i was on the panel with along with william uh reeve our ceo greg Tuzman um from um property mark um uh, and martin and my answer to the question was, um, what would you do? Uh, what would you be your first um, first action if you were made housing minister? Something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And My answer was to work more closely with the Ministry of Justice and sort the courts out. Because I think this is exactly exactly the right question to be asking at the moment. Now, Ryan, what are they suggesting in the bill? They are suggesting they're going to digitise some of the processes further. Uh, I've not seen anything yeah. more on that.
0: I, I think this goes back to the white paper and that they made a broad allusion to the fact that they were going there was going to be some form of mediation to maybe avoid court entirely um, and there was going to be better investment in the courts, uh, which is absolutely necessary um, in all in all parts of the courts, um, more investments required. Um, but I don't think it's been fleshed out in any meaningful way in the, in the bill. Um, and like I say, this is essentially a treasury or a ministry of justice decision as to how well funded the courts are. Um, we are just... Um, collateral damage, really, in the sense of the courts being underfunded for a sustained period of time. I, I think, I think a likely solution, if again, if, if I'm, if I'm just going to give my frank opinion, on that, is I would expect court fees to go up. Uh, we haven't had an increase in the court fee to issue a possession claim, which is uh, £355. That hasn't been increased for, oh God, I, I hesitate to guess, but I think about five or six years. Mm. And the idea of that is that the court, the, the cost of running the court, should be paid for, for by the people using it. So I suspect rather than there being an increase in funding from the Treasury, I think it's far more likely you just see core fees increasing. Bearing in mind the rate of inflation as well, £355 is almost a relative bargain these days compared to how you have the same cost of the same thing five or six years ago.
1: Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't go out to your landlords, guys, and say, don't worry, Mr. Landlord, this is a bargain. Uh, (laughs) They don't want to feel that way, right? (laughs) Um, But I I think it highlights the need for... For things like rent protection and legal expense cover and yeah you know, i'm not here to pitch mm. that um you, you as, as professionals will make your own informed decisions however i i think that level of product becomes uh more of a necessity than it ever has done before especially in these kind of uncertain times where battles get bigger and and the amount of arrears that could accrue could get even larger and larger Um, So the type of policy you're buying, I think, becomes more important. Um, Eugene asks a question just on this point, which um, I don't think is covered off on on the questions that we've we've had submitted already. Um, Good morning, Eugene. Um, uh, He says, um, uh, he asks, the bottom line is no evictions without a court, court order, even after the bill has passed. Is that correct, Ryan?
0: Um, yeah, there's no fundamental changes to the way that an eviction will happen. So all of this is underpinned by uh, the Protection from Eviction Act, which says essentially um, you can't unlawfully evict someone. And that basically means that you need to first of all serve them for the notice. You need to first of all uh, go to court on that notice, obtain a possession order. And then only then can a county court or a high court bailiff evict the tenant from the property. So um, all that structure is still in place.
1: Fantastic, thank you. Um, we've got a, co- a question from Joseph on section thirteen. We're going to we're going to come on section thirteen shortly. Um, we also had a question, um, and forgive me, I've lost the name of the individual who asked it, um, asking um, how to go about rent reviews. Um, which again will be covered in Section 13. Section 13 is going to be the device for that uh, for the individual um, who asked the question. Apologies, I've I've missed your name uh, on there. Um, so let, let let's let's revert to some of the, the the most asked questions we've had in ahead of this because some of the some of the themes are popping up on the chat as well. And I think this is an interesting part of the of the session to ensure we're given some clarity on some of these points. Um, so let's start, Ryan, with with tenant management and risk mitigation. This is going to feel like an interrogation, Ryan. It's designed to feel like that. We need your answers within 10 seconds. to Move on to the next one. It's quick fire. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's mastermind, I, isn't it? No, let's test, that's that's let's, fine. Let's test what thinking.
0: <laughs> um, so, luckily, I've already answered the first one, which is the grounds for eviction, the legislative provisions for problematic tenants. That's ground 14, which I discussed yep. earlier. It's having a wording tweak, but fundamentally it's still a discretionary ground. The court has still got a lot of scope to say, I'm not going to evict. Um, and you would need to have a really problematic tenant to get possession on a discretionary ground. So in that sense i think it's more or less business as usual i think there's no no real change to ground 14 practically speaking
1: okay um and it feels like we've partly covered off maybe in, in different ways the, the, the second question what will be the impact of the renters reform bill on the eviction processes um so
0: there, there was a bit of this i wanted to talk about a little bit more which is obviously with section 21's going away you've also got accelerated claims going away um what that means is that all notices that are served will need to go in front of some form of court, some form of hearing, um, and that will probably cause pressure on the court system because I, I think that's probably what the, um, what, the, what, the, what the question I was asking before was what's, what impact is that going to have? All claims now require a hearing. That is going to cause an impact. But I suspect something that might mitigate it slightly is that if you take away Section 21, there might be fewer claims in total so it might be a little bit of column a column b so it might well offset itself um ultimately i think it's a, a, the time scales are only going to decrease if there is more funding put in place rather than um the changes that are proposed in the white paper and in the bill
1: yeah and it it's hard to stress enough I think, for those who working really closely within that legal system, and for me, it, it, it's a joint to the rent protection and legal expense product we we support. And Ryan, it's, it's your day job, frankly. It's hard to stress enough how creaky that process is and can be and how much stress it's been under, not only because of this reform, but COVID was clearly a massive challenge. Um, and there was legislative means obviously put in place during the pandemic in order to to support people. But that created huge backlogs on the courts. And we're only now... Just seeing those those timelines start to decrease. I don't think they ever get back to where they were pre-pandemic, frankly. And I think this, again, will push those back out again. Your points around funding is absolutely the right one. Um, and you know, if, if you are speaking to your local MPs, if you are speaking to any industry professionals, that I think needs to be included in the conversation. Because without that, actually, this bill will lack teeth and the 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 very point we got from our focus groups was that the vast majority of people both landlords tenants and agents were on board right this change is happening but it's got to be enforceable and it has to be managed properly and then that that provides a fair outcome for all then if we don't have that then there's a real risk here that timelines can just get longer and longer. Um, especially to your point, Ryan, if claims if those level of claims don't reduce and actually see an increase in 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 calls for the courts, then that could be disastrous. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how how and when that's funded. Um I hope it's ahead as a bill being launched, not retrospectively, because that will mm. spell a bit of disaster. Um the next question comes in. Um, will the switch from fixed term to periodic tenancies affect insurances and affordability? One for me, uh, probably more than you there, Ryan. Um the the view from a referencing perspective on affordability is indeed a snapshot in time. Um, it's looking at whether the tenant can afford that amount of rent, um, not whether whether the tenant can afford that amount of rent for the next two, three, four years, for example. So I don't think fundamentally um, anything within the referencing process, particularly changes. We're going to come on to rent in advance, I think, shortly. and I'll probably blend that into guarantors as well. Um Uh, Well, in fact, no. I'll I'll cover guarantors here because it's a fair question around affordability. So, I think broadly speaking, referencing process remain the same. There is a question around guarantors um, in terms of now there will be no fixed term contracts. How can you hold somebody um, to a contract in perpetuity? And Mm -hmm. I think that's a very interesting question, one that we don't quite have an answer for yet, and we're looking for support on as well. Um, Because you know, for any contract to be enforceable, my understanding, Ryan, is that you need you need a, a, a determined um, range. It needs to be clear what they're signing up for and what they're liable for. Um, and At the moment, if you read the bill, a rent is classed as one month, um, which again informs our position on, on, on one of the questions coming up on, on on rent in advance. But I think guarantors are a question mark. When it comes to insurances, um, I can't speak on behalf of others, um, but from a good law perspective, um, we've already met with our insurers. Um, we've gone through um, exactly um, what we see the implications of the bill in the current form are. Um, and we expect to be able to conduct business as usual um, and further support, actually, some of the areas. Um, so I think you see those areas improve, um, if if anything. Um, and I think, again, to my point, Tilo, that becomes maybe more meaningful, um, given how um, uncertain, you know, from a legality perspective, uh, people might feel um so yeah we're absolutely open supporting customers uh through this period and on from there um looking into the financial and legal considerations um uh, a question came in ryan uh, the impact of the renters reform bill on fixed term tenancies and restructuring fees what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on this
0: well i i assume this is to do with essentially there's not going to be a renewal fee yeah. anymore that's what i read that. um so Yes, I mean simply put, there is not going to be a renewal fee anymore because there's not going to be that requirement to do it. Um, I suppose the the answer would be to shift fees into being, you know, along the 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 X percentage of rent you deduct each month for your services. Um but yeah, it's difficult to see how that wouldn't. You know, if you don't make these changes, it wouldn't be a net loss overall because obviously you're you're doing less work, you're going to get paid less for it. So um, yeah, I'm afraid I don't really have much more insight than that. Uh, yes, renewal fees will disappear entirely,
1: and that's a revenue stream that I'm sure a lot of agents uh, rely on. Um, indeed, we've got a few questions coming in. One person hasn't left left their name. Um, I'm not sure whether this is a fraudulent uh, slip or not. But it is. is that a Spurs shit in the background? I think he, he, they mean shirt. Um, it is. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I have I, I can't change my room depending on how well we play. So apologies for any offense caused. Um hopefully next season will be much better. Um <laughs> in, in terms of um some the questions coming in, um around the points you just discussed, um Vicky asks, Does the bill cover own AST and exclude non housing act tenancies, Ryan?
0: Yeah, so essentially it works by taking away the AST provision, but you still have a list of tenancies that cannot be ASTs. Uh, that exists currently. I don't believe that list is going to be changed at all. So, for example, you're letting to a company that can't be an AST. If it's not their principal residence, that can't be an AST. There's a whole list of exclusions um, set out in
1: Schedule 1 of the Housing Act. And yeah, like I say, not going to be changed. Cool And and Claire, um, good morning, Claire, um, uh, asks, um, considering the bill is designed with greater protections for the tenants in mind, I'm struggling to understand the benefits of the removal of fixed terms. How do we explain this to tenants who feel like they have lost their security protection um, from the sale of their home? Um, Claire, this point was actually brought to us in the focus groups um, by tenants. um, And I think it's an interesting one. And you know, I'd go back to our conversation at the top of the call around, you know, I think we're moving to a short tenancies and it's done. Um, but I, I absolutely sympathize that there are cohorts of tenants out there. And that was evidence in our research that did and enjoyed the idea of a fixed term, um, a fixed term contract. It gave levels of security, albeit maybe um, um, you know, the, the, the security actually wasn't there because the, the device is available to, to agents and landlords at the moment. But I do get the point. And um, I think it's one that um, ultimately you know, we've probably got to recognize people are choosing their home. Uh, there was a fear, I remember, Ryan, when this bill was first announced, that all of a sudden the PRS would turn into Airbnb style and people would be that transient. Mm. I, I just don't recognize that's a possibility, given that the stress is on, on supply and demand at the moment. Um, but I think Claire makes a fair point there, that there will be some tenants sit there scratching their heads thinking, hang on, what, why can't I have certainty here? I, I, I want a fixed term. Um, but under the new legislative terms, um, that's not going to be a possibility, is it, uh, for, 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 for tenants moving forwards?
0: Yeah, I completely agree.
1: Um with everything you said, I don't think there's need to to repeat, repeat what you you said. <laughs> um okay, looking back to the questions we've got um ahead of ahead of the, the, the time. Um and this is quite a big one. Um can we still take rent in advance if there are no fixed terms?
0: Right. Now I'm more than happy to talk about this because all lawyers want to be like the lawyers you see on TV where they're finding loopholes, clever ways to get around stuff. If I have Again, if I'm putting money on a loophole existing, this is it. Now, if what you currently have when you take rent in advance is you are basically just putting the rent account in credit. Um, because what tends to happen, again, not, not in all cases, but what tends to happen is say a 12 month fixed term, they pay six months of that upfront and then they pay the remaining six months every month thereafter. Um, practically speaking, that's no different to it being 12 lots of, of one month. It's just they happen to have paid all six months in advance. There's no law against being in credit for your rent account. There's no problem at all with that. Now, the bill as written prevents rental periods from being over one month. So you're not going to be able to ask for a year's rent up front. But why wouldn't you be able to ask for 12 lots of one up front, which is the same amount. It's just that you're asking for it in a slightly different way. And again, if a tenant pays it, all they've done is they put the account in credit. You haven't demanded anything more than one month's rent, albeit you've demanded several lots of one month's rent in advance. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say I think that particular interpretation is not long for this world. I think that is almost certainly going to get clamped down on. It certainly isn't the spirit of the legislation. Mm. Um, it's quite clear what Parliament's intending to do, but the law as written just prevents the rental period from being longer. It doesn't prevent you from demanding multiple rental periods at the same time. And um, that's my uh, that's my bit of uh, bit of being a, a, a law geek. <laughs>
1: I feel like an episode of Suits here. It's brilliant. Um uh, it Ryan, Greg asks though to this point. Um and it feels like he says rents in advance can probably be navigated using existing law. So I think he's he's thinking in similar ways to, to, to you here. Um however he asks where if a tenant leaves early, um a refund uh of overpaid rent will be due. Now, hmm. now naturally you'd think, yes, you're leaving early, you've paid me rent up front, I'm gonna give it to you back. I'm not sure under that mechanism you just described, there would be a necessity to give it back. I'm, and I'm, I certainly do not agree with that, by the way. I think that's morally a little bit wrong because, you know, you, you went into it in good faith, both parties. But um, how would tenants mm. have protection over that payment? Because in that loophole, well, would they not be exposed to being retained?
0: So it's, it's, not, it's not really that well known about, but in the Deregulation Act, which is kind of the legislation which said that section 21 notice doesn't need to expire at the end of the rental period it was anticipated that section 21 notice would expire in the middle of a rental period and that would mean if a tenant's paid a month's rent then part of it would need to be refunded and there's a real there's, there's a formula for it that i'm not mathematically able to to to, to, to um to, to pull apart here, but the idea was that there was some mechanism whereby if they um, if they left midway for a rental period but paid for the whole period, some of it would be refunded to them but there isn 't such a formula here, and I wonder if it 's because it's, it would need to be the tenant giving the notice um, so basically, if the tenant gives two months' notice and that notice here doesn 't expire at the end of a rental period and Either it would be on them to apportion the last month's rent themselves or come up with some solution, or if they had paid the full month's rent for it, um, to simply say, tough, you paid the full month's rent, you were contractually obliged to pay the full month's rent. The fact that the tenancy is ending midway through a rental period is neither here nor there. So I think this is something that could be expanded upon because they've done something similar in previous legislation.
1: Okay. Um, whilst we're on this point of renting in a, a, advance, um, Vicky asks Does the same apply to topping up, um, uh, e.g., where the tenant passes references at 500, but the rent is 525, um, so pays 25 in advance? Um, I, I think it, from a referencing perspective, I think this probably makes it harder because you, there's no definition of period of what that payment would look like, and there's no fixed term. Mm-hmm. So um, I think this is probably an area that we see less and less of in terms of referencing now whether you can find a way to to navigate it or not is a different question um but what what this is known as a shortfall payment in referencing terms and i i i I think for, from what we understand at the moment vicky that that will become a thing of the past now there are many areas here like the one we're talking uh, about now um we asked the question around guarantors where and i think it was um uh i think it was one of the attendees today um who was pointing out that the, the, this feels like actually it's, it's restricting tenants you can make a fair argument say actually there's more barriers being put down because of this unintentionally almost that give people less access to property these are two areas which i think are possibly um proving that point because you will have a cohort of individuals that really struggle to meet set criteria but have found a means to get into property arguably they're closing um the, those loopholes which actually in turn benefit uh tenants um Moving on, um, Ryan, I'm conscious of time. Um, what will the enform- enforcement of the new Section 8 grounds look like?
0: Now, I'm, I'm going to have to interpret enforcement here as being um... – You've got a possession order uh, and you've evicted the tenant. Um, a tenant's left and they've left rent arrears, for example. How do you go about enforcing the debt against them? That's why I'm interpreting enforcement is essentially debt recovery. Um, it's, not, it's unaffected. So all the previous mechanisms for recovering money from a tenant, whether that's from the deposit or via small claims court, um, by instructing bailiffs, by applying for an attachment of earnings order, they all still exist and are completely unchanged. But um, I'm, I might have misinterpreted what the question is actually asking.
1: No, Okay. Uh, I think I, I think we interpret that the same way. Um, tenancy agreements and types. Um, I think two quick file ones here. Um, do you have any idea what the tenancy agreements might look like for periodic tenancies or for assured tenancies, Ryan?
0: Yes, because you, you can currently create an assured tenancy. You can currently create a periodic contract. So it is not at all difficult to imagine what that might look like. Um, you would just remove fixed term. There'll be some other tweaks required. In fact, I think the, the biggest tweaks are going to be related to section 13 because then they're, they're doing away with rent increase clauses. So there are going to need to be some things removed from the agreement. I suspect that's going to be, going to result in a, a slimmer overall agreement, which, to be honest, is no bad thing. It's quite a bulky document at the moment.
1: Um, and then the second follow-up question there is what will tenancy agreements look like for, for student rentals? Um, I think it's, it's worth pointing out at this stage that this is one of the challenges that's come about already since the bill's been introduced, um, that um, currently the, the bill um uh, uh essentially give di- gives different um process and powers for um uh pbsa so purpose-built student accommodation um and actually the ask here is that that's not going to cut it because you've got a huge uh amount of a huge volume of properties that sit within the prs that rented students and actually uh this leg- legislation is absolutely um counterproductive for, for for those landlords um we've seen change there already um, I think it's going to be hard until we understand what that challenge looked like and where they finalised well to give an accurate answer, right, to what agreements would it look like for students, because it, it probably is going to change, we hope. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, going into Section 13, there's been a lot of questions around Section 13. Um, yeah. So um, we've got, I'm going to probably start with the bottom question before we go through the rest maybe here. Um, because I think it informs the rest of the, the rest of the points. Um, so Ryan, what options do landlords have under the Renters Reform Bill for increasing rent?
0: Okay, um, two options, but really it's only one option. Uh, serving a Section 13 notice every 12 months to increase it to market rate. The second option is that you serve a Section 13 notice and then agree the rent increase with the tenant after you serve the notice. But that agreed rent can only be less than section 13 notice rent increase so you can't have rent increase clauses you can't have separate um separate negotiations to amend the rent you can't have a renewal um setting the rent at a higher date it can only be section 13 and then maybe a negotiation after section 13.
1: Okay um and then that leads on to the first question uh top to bottom Um, if a tenant repeatedly challenges section 13 would this be covered by the persistent arrears ground? Interesting. Somebody's trying to find a loophole here in the sense of for hmm. he, Uh for you money. Know, does this fall into, in, in, into bed with I'm- the new legislative change as well?
0: I like this one. Um agreed. someone's thinking ahead. Yeah. So um with a sec- so with a section 13 notice essentially what you're saying is from a certain point the rent will be x. Uh now it's possible for the tenant to challenge that. It can go to the property tribunal and the property tribunal can then set whatever the fe- that they think the re- the rent should be. Um now I I think as a whole this is going to lead to a downward pressure on rent increases because essentially you have a um I don't I think they're government in in, in in the in the stricter sense of the word, but they are still HMCTS are still governed by uh, by the Ministry of Justice, um, and they can set what the market rate is. Now, um, it's possible for the tribunal to backdate the rent increase back to when it should have taken mm. effect but they won't always do that. But if they do backdate it, then it's entirely possible for tenants in rent arrears for whatever they haven't paid for the period from when they should have paid to when the, the rent was actually approved by the property tribunal. So yes, it's possible for rent arrears to accrue as a result of a Section 13 notice being challenged. Now, persistent rent arrears is ground 8A. That's a new ground, mm. but that only applies if they are in more than two months arrears for a period of time. So would the backdating of the rent create rent arrears of more than two months? If it does, then yes, that would be one tick against persistent rent arrears and you need three periods where they've gone into more than two months arrears. But realistically, I don't think that's going to happen because the tribunal will probably not backdate it if it meant such a severe impact on the tenant. So I don't think there's going to be any interaction between Section 13 and the new Ground 8A
1: yeah i, I agree and just to be
0: clear, i just want to touch on a word sorry there's a word in there which is repeatedly challenging it so basically is the act of challenging it in of itself um a problem no it's not the tenants got every right to challenge a rent increase by section 13 yeah. so the challenging even if every single section 13 is challenged doesn't lead to any extra avenues for getting them out of the property
1: it, it doesn't and i think you know i would expect um I think people are more informed today than they were five years ago, let alone 10 years ago, 20 years mm-hmm. ago. Um, and I would ex- expect to see the majority of these processes challenged in the first phase. Now, I think actually uh, that, 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 that dilutes itself over time because people begin to learn and trust that actually there's a barometer there that is accurate and the system works. But yep. I think we should be preparing for you know the majority of Section 13 to be challenged. And if they don't, then great. And I suppose my point on that is, why wouldn't a tent challenge it? There's absolutely no, re- there's no fallback if the ta- tent challenges it and it's, it, they don't win that case. It's, it's a, it's a free throw, basically. Um, now that really informs um, concern around the first tier tribunal um, bandwidth and their ability to serve um, and the ability to manage cases. I'm not quite sure they're factored in how, how high this could be. And I think the missing link here is that we will drive this as an industry landlords and agents will drive this because this is a route to um, ensuring that they have the ability to cover their costs, especially in a changing world. And given the fact you can only do this once every year via Section 13, that's going to create pressure in itself. Um, it'll be interesting to see how many Section 13s are served at the very start of this legislative change, the moment they can basically, to try and make the most of the timeline. Um, but I think we we need more clarity around this. We need more clarity around, you know, how long is that process um, because what the landlords do in the meantime, it's you know, there's a lot of a lot of sort of grey areas in this um, that I think need to be need need to be confirmed, both from a legislative perspective but also from a bandwidth perspective. Um, uh, uh, the the next question on here is: Could the government introduce measures to prevent landlords gaining per, uh, possession before the new le- this new legislative uh, legislation is in force?
0: Um, short answer: Yes, they could. As C Scotland as an answer
1: for that, uh, practical reality, I doubt it highly. And and with that in mind, um, in terms of other challenges, um, what will happen regarding giving notice for joint tenancies?
0: Now, I don't think this is I don't think this is any different. Now, there is uh, a bit in the Renters Reform Bill about um, tenants giving notice. There is a prescribed period of, of notice that they need to give. the, the legislation talks about a tenant. So not tenants, not the tenancy or anything like that. And it is currently the position that joint tenants can sever their individual liability in a periodic contract by giving their own notice to quit. So in that sense, I don't think there's any change. It's possible for a tenant to give a notice to quit to end their tenancy or rather just end their portion of the tenancy once it's in a periodic contract. Now all tenancy is going to be in a periodic contract. It's entirely possible for You just sign up two tenants, get affordability and insurance based on two tenants, and then the second tenant to waltz off into the sunset, leaving the first tenant who can't afford it. Um, So uh, nothing's changed, I suppose, is the short answer for tenants being able to give their notice and joint tenancies.
1: Okay, and a question going back to, shall we move on to the the, the last couple of questions in, uh, on the slide? A question coming in uh, from a couple of people, one including Tom. Good morning, Tom. Um, what if the tenant doesn't comply with the Section 30 rent increase? D- that just starts uh, occurring arrears, right? And that there's a mechanism within the framework yeah. for arrears. It's no different to, to any other part of, of non-payment of rent, I'd imagine.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's the same as as currently. If you serve a Section thirteen notice and a tenant doesn't contest it, then the rent has increased to that amount. Um, if they don't pay that amount, then they will be in rent arrears by that amount uh, for every month of the passes that they don't pay the increase. So yeah, no, there's no there's no change there.
1: And in terms of limitations, there's a couple of questions around limitations, including one from Steve. Uh, Russell makes the point as well around um, uh, the barometers being set for uh for the the amount of rent that can be applicable um steve's question um uh, pertains to is there a limit to the rent increase i can charge um that i presume Ryan, is set by the um by the market rate that, that, that then will be acting as a guide i imagine
0: yeah exactly you've got this nebulous term market rate so there isn't a cap um you can make extraordinary increases in rent if the market justifies that increase um but like I said, there could be a downward pressure on the market rent because it's the tribunal who are going to be setting that market rent. So um, I think it might just be watch this space and see what happens because your, your valuation as a letting agent might be a property is worth X, but if the tribunal mm. sets it at a lower rate, then effectively the market rate is not X, it is whatever the tribunal will set it at. Um, like I said, that's, that's rent controls by right the back door really.
1: Indeed. Um, and uh, two questions just on the point you've recently made around um, joint tenants, um, one coming from Ivor and Claudia. Claudia asks, I thought joint and severally liable tenants could give notice, and that notice affects the tenant as a whole.
0: Um, no. So in, in, in a periodic contract, uh, an individual tenant can give their own notice to end the tenancy. It's kind of like we were talking about with the guarantors earlier. Mm. There can't be a situation where someone is bound – or made liable in perpetuity. And so if you consider the, the common context here is, what if there's, say, a domestic violence situation going on here? You've got both yeah. main tenants. Um, if one person wants to leave that situation because the relationship is broken down, but the other party is essentially forcing them to stay party to this contract because they signed the same agreement, uh, it would be incredibly unfair to, to the tenant who is forced to stay to it. So yes, that, that there is a provision that, Joint tenants can sever their liability in a periodic contract.
1: Okay, good clarification. That because I think that's a point that, that quite a few um, weren't aware of. Um, moving into the last few questions, Ryan, um, uh, will EPC rules form part of the Renters Reform Bill?
0: I think they're talking about the uh, the MES, um, yes. changes. I think um, that's yeah, that's their own that's their own bit of legislation.
1: Yeah, um, at which of which we I think still. Waiting for absolute confirmation of when that's going to be introduced. The timeline's yes, been moving about yes. a bit, so and maybe this is a precursor to that changing again because this is probably going to be a focus above mm-hmm. and beyond that potentially. um Access to up to date information on legal requirements and best practice requirements. um I think this is more of a ask rather than a question and where to find them. I imagine actually your business, Ryan, does help provide most of this stuff, right?
0: Well, uh, it's a very useful opportunity to plug services, to be honest. (laughs) So um, I I dare say there's going to be a lot of webinars um, as we get updates to the bill and as we get the final bit of legislation passed through the Commons. Um, Dust and Gregory operate a private uh, legal helpline for all members to join for an annual fee. Uh, We are currently in the process of revamping that to include a bit more of a proactive offering to include things like webinars, uh, how-to guides, written documents, things like that. So um, in terms of uh, access to -to up-to-date... Uh, information
1: just watch this space um thank you Ryan we've been hit with about another 13 or 14 if not more questions back in again on top of the ones we've already got um guys I'm afraid we are out of time um uh, six minutes over. I'm conscious that everybody has busy days um and appreciate all of you uh sticking with us and um, we do have another another webinar coming up um shortly um with Sean Hooker this is specifically uh um around students um, and the effect of the renters reform bill, an area that we've we 've briefly touched on today with Ryan, but Sean will be joining me to give more context to that. Um, I do appreciate there 's been many more questions coming in um we We will be running multiple sessions like this over the coming months. Um, and I really hope that Ryan um, and others can, can join us again to, to give an update as we go through that timeline that we showed you earlier um, to really give you certainty on what things have been confirmed and what things haven't, and then talk about those and and try and help you um, prepare. But I think there's been some absolutely brilliant stuff in there today, Ryan. Thank you so much for your attendance again, um, and thank you to the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of letting professionals that have joined us today. Um, for today, that's it, Ryan. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing everybody uh, again shortly. Cheers now.
0: Thanks so much, Ollie. Bye-bye.